I love tea. <laughs> and I love tea. And it's wrong uh. to put something in the tea. So she might say yes to the tea because you put something in the tea. It doesn't get better than that. That's a great one. If you don't understand that analogy, you are a rapist. <laughs> I'm sorry. This, actually. Today's guest is Sivuyele Ngezi. Oh, nice. He's a comedian, television presenter, actor, MC, producer, activist, and social media sensation. Multi-award winning. Actually, multi-award winning. <laughs> and then that, if you think. Don't, don't forget the multi. Yeah, multi-award winning. Yeah, so I got all of that from your, uh, yeah. your, your website. <laughs> but I added the, the activist in. Because yeah, I, I think that's important. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, just to get into something that I've seen in the headlines recently. I saw that you've entered the boxing world. And uh, I watched one of your fights against, uh, what was his name? Graham Richards. Yeah. A few people. I fought a few people, yeah. But um, the, the fight that I watched against Graham Richards was so funny, dude. The knockout and then the dance afterwards. Just explain <laughs> to me what was going through your mind there. I don't know. I think for me, I, I've, I've, I, I'm like a big Muhammad Ali fan. And, and for me, I'm all about working hard and then winning and achieving and then celebrating. Um, so for me, in instinct, that's what happened immediately. But him and I are still very good friends. We're still very close. It was for, um, you know, uh, two different TV shows competing. Uh, yeah, man, I love boxing. I've always loved boxing. And, uh, you know, I actually used to work with him. I used to work um, when I got out of rehab. I needed a job. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went to the Espresso show. Yeah. And they hired me. And I was the photographer. And, yeah, he was a, he was a great guy. Oh, nice. Uh, uh, yeah, cool. Awesome. I loved him. Great guy. And... Um, I also see that you've been challenged by Casper Nuvest. Oh, that's fake. He would never challenge me. Um, they're all very <laughs> scared. Uh, I don't blame them because I'm a beast boxer. Um, but yeah, everyone's too scared to challenge me and uh, I don't blame them. What's it called? Um, yeah, the reason I wanted to ask this because I put a poll up on Instagram mm -hmm. and asked people for questions and half mm -hmm. of them were, are you going to fight him? Are you going to fight him? I wish he would want to fight, but I, I've had about five celebrity fights and I've been training for about 10 years. So I think it's a bit of an unfair advantage. And have you won all of them? Yes, I have. Amazing, dude. <laughs> With ease. <laughs> I once fought a professional boxer just, just for fun. Oh, <laughs> and how did that go? I wouldn't call it a fight. He broke my ribs. Um, we were, we were, I was making a YouTube video and I went to him and he, uh, I said, just hit me as hard as you can in the ribs. Because uh, I wanted to see how hard a boxer punches and he actually broke my ribs. When was this? Uh, during lockdown. Like just after. Fuck no. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, I want to get into your childhood a little mm -hmm. bit. I know you grew up in Guguletu. Mm -hmm. What was that experience like? I grew up in Guguletu, and I think for me, it was always about I had an incredible, unbelievable uh, uh, mother and father who just absolutely loved me. And, and I was the first, uh, the youngest and the first boy. Um, so I think for me, you know, you don't even realize how poor you are if you're just surrounded by so much love. And I was absolutely surrounded by so much love. I was told how incredible I was every single day. I was literally idolized by everyone. Um, so that's why I think it's, it's helped to be who I am today. I think I'm absolutely incredible. Uh, and I think I'm an amazing human. And I think I'm destined for greatness. And that's because of the upbringing that I had. And I mean, I know you say it's because your parents instilled mm -hmm. that in you. Um, but there must be something else as well. Where do you get that 
belief in yourself and like self-confidence from? I think for, for me, I, I, apart from that upbringing of being able to talk how great I am, I, I, I think I, I really, really I grew up watching Muhammad Ali from an early age. I knew exactly how important it was to be able to put out that energy continuously. And then like, for me, it seems so simple um, to be able to continuously feed yourself with this incredible steroid called self-belief and confidence. I, I, it makes me ill to see people who don't have self-belief. It makes me ill to watch it from a distance because I always go, I promise you, just start by... Because for me, even at, for example, at now as I speak to you, I'm at my worst. This version of me is the worst I've ever been. I lost my mother two months ago. I literally am a walking dead. I'm a hollow being of myself. Um, but because uh, subconsciously I'm, I've instilled that belief in myself continuously, it's just there. And to me, now that I'm at my worst, it shows you how important self-confidence is, how important it is to be able to believe in yourself. Because even now that I'm running on, on like that I'm at my lowest, I still, I'm, I, 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 I'm some people's best that they'll ever be. And I'm unapologetic about that. Were you always like this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, first day of school, mom gets a call, grade one. Oh, your, your son is great but so disruptive, loud and overbearing. I think he should go in Ritalin. My mother was like, no, he's going to go in sport and speech and drama. So I've always, I think I've always known that I'm special because it was instilled for me from early. Um, but so every time I, but even now, every day I wake up, I love Monday to Friday. I hate Saturdays and I hate Sundays because there's more potential of me getting an important phone call Monday to Friday that says something's happening. So I always have that the, the, this thing of possibility continuously. And sometimes it's, it's negative positivity because there is some, something called the negative positivity. For example, negative positi uh, positivity is if there's a bus driving towards you and you stop and you go, I'm going to stop this bus with my shoulder. <laughs> That's called negative positivity. And sometimes I struggle from that. And were you accepted? Because I know that to stand out, sometimes in a place like Guguletu mm. um, and just townships in general mm. isn't always a good thing. Yeah, I, I, great question. Great, 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 great question. I think the township would have eaten me up if I'd grown up into it for the rest of my, if my mom, my mom didn't take me out. I think, I think they, it would have eaten me alive. I think some kids in townships get killed, they get bullied, they get hurt just by trying to get out. And I know that's what kind of kid I would have been. I would have been hurt. I, I wouldn't have fit in. I, or I would have gone the opposite route of trying to fit in in negative ways. And had to suppress yourself. Do, do things that I... So my mom getting me out of the township was the most important moment in my life, I think, changed the, 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 the fundamentals of who I am. And I know that you've also lost your father. Mm. Uh, I think when you were 19? Yeah. When you were a, a teenager? 18, 19, yeah. Um, how did that impact your life at that time. See, even my dad's death was such an important time because I remember on his deathbed promising him that I'm going to be rich, successful, and I'm going to make him proud. You know what I mean? So that took me to like a point. You know what I mean? Because another thing that people don't get is that motivation and inspiration is bullshit. Those are short-term things. You need discipline. Discipline is the, the next thing of achieving. For example, you could have inspired to create this incredible thing. But you need a discipline to keep you going. For example, you could have gone into rehab and gotten those kind of skills, but you need a discipline to continue and instilling those, those things that you learned in there. Um, so for me, losing my mother 
will be the moment that takes my life to the next level. I always say, because people ask me, how do I start a podcast? And there was this guy that I was talking to and he's got such good ideas for, yeah. show, for a show, yeah. right? Um, very positive show. Yeah. And uh, I think it was a great idea. Yeah. And he kept saying, I need this equipment. I need that equipment. I need this and I need that. And I just said, bro, you've got equipment. Yeah. It's not the best equipment in the world, yeah. but it's good enough. Just start. And a lot of people get so caught up in the process of starting something yeah. that when they're finally mm. ready, mm. they feel like mm. they're not ready. Yeah. The f it's just the first step. Like for example, even me sitting here, I have incredible ideas. I just have to put them, implement them. You know what I mean? I have ideas. I have things that could help me tour the world and become the best version of myself and be known. I have those ideas. It's just about implementing them. And now that I lost my mother, I can see the focus as next level to be able to implement. So I, I feel it's the same as having a podcast, man. So many people have podcasts and so many podcasts are canceled so early that if people could just put through and, and carry it on. Because everyone wants to be Josh, 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 but he had to push on. What episode is he on now? Flipping down. 1,900 or something. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So that's what you have to push through. And yeah. I mean, he was extremely famous before starting mm -hmm. a podcast. Mm -hmm. And when he did eventually start a podcast, he had something like 150, 200 viewers. Mm -hmm. um, I think people forget that. Like for example, I'm, I, the, on the wall, if you haven't seen, there's, a, there's a, dart, a, a dart board there. And if I play darts, I'm not the best dart player, but every single shot, I'm going for flipping bullseye. That's all I'm going for. Why would you even start playing if you're not going for bullseye? Why would you go? It's the same as any, I'm busy doing a motivational talk at the moment, I'm putting a motivational talk and the premises is fighting. So not, but the premises is of analogies of how life is compared to fighting, how it is. And every single fighter, every single fighter will train for months on end for a fight. But no one is jumping into that ring unless they're going in to win. And no one is ever doubting themselves that they're not going to win. So why would you carry on life like that? Why would you carry on life with doubting that you're going to fail? It's okay to fail. The mentality of it's okay to fail. But jumping into the ring, you have to think you are going to win and know you're going to win. Like now, I just played paddle. I lost three games to nil, right? But every single point, I thought I was going to win. And next time you go back, and I'm you gonna think go, you're going to win And I'm well. still chirping him <laughs> till the last point that he fucked me up on. So if that's how I go by life and that's how you should. And I mean, speaking of um, winning, yeah. I mean, you started acting when you were nine. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Um, how did you get into the industry? It actually was all a mistake. There's all a moment of just like, uh, I just moved to Pylons. I walked home from swimming practice. Black guy swimming, imagine. <laughs> then I intersected the canal with my friend and my friend's mother, Shelly Major and Kathy Major. And we met and had a towel on my neck. And she was like, and I used to go to the house to swim. And I used to be like the biggest crush on Shelly. And she was like, oh, we just spoke to our friend, Paula. She's looking for a kid who can swim. Because a black kid lied and said he could swim. Next day, I was doing a commercial. Then a the week later, they're like, oh, we have a place in our car for you to come audition for Lemurs. That got Lemurs, traveled the world. Lemurs. Yeah. And then there's no other looking back. I've just been working ever since. Um, I've had, I got pimples when I was a teenager, could, couldn't work, spent my time in theater, getting the discipline of this industry from my uh, incredible guy called Mike Harris from high school. And I've just been working ever since and just chogging along and just pushing along. I'll die doing this. I'll die. There's no, there's no other thing. And um, I mean, do you think there's as much opportunity in a place like South Africa 
as they are in other parts of the world. Because I always hear people say like, it's very, I mean, I have the same thoughts mm. sometimes, you know, I go, I can't make it in my industry from oh. South Africa. Mm. But with the way the internet is now, come on, you can do anything. I just came back from LA last week, meeting up with some managers and agencies and they were saying, you don't have to move here anymore. It's all online. I was in LA for five days. So first time I've ever been to LA without seeing any famous people. Because all of them have moved back to their homes out of LA. Because now with online, you don't have to be there anymore. So there's no excuses. If you're watching this and you have an excuse about why you can't start a podcast, why, 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 why? If you have a cell phone, there's no excuse. Unless you have a 3210. There's no excuse why <laughs> you can't be doing something. Like I'm sick and tired of people making excuses. Like people always message me, oh my goodness, you're so good at pearl dancing. Oh, I wish I had the upper body strength. Don't do cuck, man. Start. You know what I mean? Oh, put it on your cell phone and start. You have YouTube. You have Insta Do it. No excuses. I'm sick and tired of bullshit excuses. You know, there's no excuses. Mm. Like what, the day after my mother died, I had a job. And I could have done it. But I wasn't allowed to travel in my culture. Could, I could have done it. I refused. You know, if, in, in that state, I could have done it. And I don't believe anyone has excuses. Now, even though, now that could be called negative positivity as well. But I'm just saying at this point, just try. Just try. Just try and be able to fail. And Lisa, you tried it. Like, I'm not saying if, if working hard made you rich, there'd be millions of millionaires and there'd be black women in Africa. Because if work, working hard equaled success, they would be successful. You know, all mothers in general, all single women in general. But working hard, unfortunately, doesn't mean success. You need luck, you need opportunity, you need access. And then a little bit of hard work. So for me, I'm not saying everyone who's not successful isn't working hard, but there's no excuse if you don't try. I always say that there's so much to do here, mm. um, especially in my line of work mm. as a documentary videographer mm. or photographer. Mm. Um, you don't need to go all around mm. the world. We've got such a diverse population mm. here mm. and so many different communities. Mm. Um, and I think as thing, time has gone, mm. there's a lot more opportunities mm. here than there ever was before. Agreed. So for me, I, it's so interesting. Chatting to you, and you, you, you've had rehab, and you, you, you call yourself an addict. It's so interesting because I am an addict, and I'm an addict of control. So I love to be in control. I love control. So, so it's quite interesting to know someone who has figuratively lost control, right? It gives me, ironically, lessons of self. Because for me... I love to be in control, but I love to be out of control. And that I do through riding motorbikes, bikes, cars, you know what I mean? That, that kind of thing. So for me, it's so interesting to chat to you because you're so open about it. Uh, do, how do you find to lose control now? What is, your, what is your outlet? So do you want me to tell you a little bit about it? Yeah. I mean, so when I was very young, I picked up substances. And what is your first one? Cigarettes. Alcohol. I would always get alcohol. Mm. That was definitely the first one. Um, and at every little event, I would sneak alcohol. I mean, I remember a trip to Australia when I was 12 or 11, and the lady in the aisle walked past, and I said, can I have a little mini miniature as a joke? Like a miniature bottle of alcohol, you know, the little ones on the plane. And uh, she said no, obviously, and laughed at me. And when she turned around, I stole one. Um, and then I drank that, and... 
my mom gave us all half sleeping pills, like half of a sleeping pill to go to bed. So then I took the half of the sleeping pill and then she dropped another one on the floor and I picked it up and I took that. Dude, I was so out of control on that flight at 12 years old. I was so gone. Where were you sleeping? <laughs> I was throwing up in the bathroom and I was like, that was the start of it all really. Uh, and it just got worse and worse over did, time. Did your mom know what happened? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it just got worse and worse over time. And then I found cocaine um, when I was, I went to Cambodia when I was 16 I with my Cambodia. cousins. Um, and I spent three weeks sniffing heroin. Um, and then I went to rehab after that and went into, uh, and I dropped out of school after that. Um, and for so many years, I think it was like roughly seven years, I was just a full-blown addict. Um, seven? Seven, yeah. Wow. This studio used to be my bedroom. And I spent thousands of hours here just by myself having these dreams and visions of what I could do and what I could be. I used to write down notes of all the things I wanted to accomplish in a book that are sitting in those cupboards there. And none of them ever got done. Mm. Um, and it got so bad, I st started getting arrested. Um, I got arrested two or three times, um, almost went to jail. And I mean, it got, it got to the point where my mom didn't know where to hide her purse because I kept stealing her money. Mm. Um, she would hide it in every single place imaginable. Mm. But my brain got so linked to hers because we spent so much time trying to hide things from each other that we kind of figured each other mm. out. And the one night I had looked all over the house and I said, where could she have hid this purse with her credit cards in it? And I said, the only place I haven't looked is under her pillow. So I went into a room at one or two in the morning and I put my hand under her pillow and I found her purse. Is she sleep was she sleeping? She was sleeping. And she woke up, but I just said, oh, I'm just grabbing the phone charger or something like that. Um, that's how bad it got. And uh, eventually I went back into rehab after getting arrested again for six months and got sober and uh, relapsed when I got out started finding work and eventually I got sober again. And that's how I've been for almost just under four years now. Like it's like three years and six to nine months or something like that. And uh, your question was about control. I do not miss losing control. And at the moment, I never lose control. Um, I live a very like this life at the moment, very stable, which I love, which is not what I used to love. Yeah. I used to love the chaos. I used to love waking up and not knowing if I was going to crash my car into a wall. <laughs> um, so I don't mind because I get to choose when I go to bed. I get to choose to wake up early for this interview today. For me, this was, I used to wake up at eight o'clock. I, I, sorry, I'm talking about myself a lot here, but I, love it. I woke up once at eight o'clock at night and it was pitch black outside. And I went to my dad and I said, dad, why aren't you at work? I thought it was eight in the morning. And he said, Josh, we've been to work. We're home now. It just mm. got to the point where it was so bad that living a life that I live now at the moment, stable is good. Mm. Yeah, I feel you. No, I feel you. Uh, do you think there's any possibility of you going back? There's always a possibility. Um, I don't even think about it at the moment. You know, I do my programs. I uh, do what, I, what it takes to stay clean. Um, but I feel like if I did go back, I would be able to make the right decisions again. Mm. And if it got out of control, I could 
get out of it with if I don't die. <laughs> so this is your this is your drug now, though. Your podcast. My work is my drug. Mm. I, I, if I'm not working, I'm thinking of working. Mm. Um, it's just what I love to do. No, I feel you. No, it's, I'm glad to be here. And that's what you have to do to get back on the right track. No, I feel you. But but anyway, I'm sick of talking about myself. <laughs> I want to talk about your mom a little bit mm. more. Um, can you tell me a little bit about her? I know we've spoke briefly, but just like, who who was she? My mother was an incredible force, like an an, an unbelievable um, beast. Uh, I think when we were, when I, when I was younger, we clashed because I think we had similar personalities, um, and I think she just instilled this positivity. Um, There's like a discipline about her, which we really clashed because I am not, like I don't do my bed. Like I don't do my bed, I don't wash dishes, what I mean, but but I know how to, and she instilled all that kind of stuff in me. Um, just a beautiful uh, energy, like I can still feel her. Um, just an unbelievable woman. Um, if I could go back, I, w- I would have tried to instill being active from an early age, but she never had that. She wasn't sporty or active. But I'll never forget how, she didn't know how to swim, and it irritated her. And I remember as a like 55-year-old, she went back to swimming lessons. That's like the kind of thing she was, you know. She loved travel. Um, she just, she, I don't think I'll ever be able to love someone the way she loved me. And I think, uh, I, I can't wait to be a father, but I, she just loved me in ways that are just in, inimaginable. Uh, she was obsessed with me. Um, and I'm glad I didn't see her the last four weeks of her life because I didn't, I was so busy. Uh, and I'm glad, and she didn't want me to see her as well because she just deteriorated. She wasn't like terrible. She wasn't terrible. It's only the day before she died that, and I was going to see her on the Friday. And I actually don't regret it. Um, I don't regret not seeing her before she died or being there when she did die. Uh, and I know she played a part in that. And I mean, do you have any special stories from when you were younger or even in your older years, you know? I think for me, the story, if you, if you, if you, you ask me what, how I am the person I am, my mother used to save up for like four years to get D- DSTV or MNET during the Olympics. And I actually told the story to Hussein Bolt. And she used to save up and get DSTV just for a year, just for a month during the Olympics. She used to, we, she used to make us watch the 100 meters, make us sit down, watch 100 meters. And she was like, talk about it. She'd be like, all right, they've been trained for years, for just this under 10 seconds. She would like see them walk, warming up at the back. Now they're they're focused. Now they're walking out. Look at the confidence. Look how ready they are. They get onto the line. Now they could fuck up with the starting line. It'd be all those years wasted. And she'd be like, now look at the winner. Now you celebrate. And she used to reenact the thing in our TV room. Kind of a thing, you know? (laughs) Um, And she just instilled the self-belief that is just indescribable. Like someone asked me the other day, who is my hero? I could, I could give you Muhammad Ali because he is, Nelson Mandela because he is, my mother because he is. My hero is the man I have the potential to become. That's my hero. The man that I have the potential to become, that's the guy. I'll never meet him. And my definition of hell is me being on my deathbed and the man that I have the potential to become walks towards me and says, hey, Siv, it's me, Siv. Um, and if you had worked harder and you'd taken every opportunity, you could have been me. We have everything. And I'm sitting there in my deathbed and I'm like, oh, shit. But the guy who 
when I die, I want the guy who I could have been to be the same. And that's my definition of hell. I am, but currently, it's quite interesting. Currently, achieving something for myself is what I have to learn how to do now. Because dropping her a message and telling her was my, was, was my highlight. Every time I succeeded in something, my mom would also, like, if I was in a magazine, yeah, 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 she would clip yeah. it and put yes. it away. And, yeah. that, and that's, I've lost that. And that, I will never, I, I will always, I will always be hungry for her stamp of approval. And now I have to give my stamp, uh, myself the stamp of approval, which is quite difficult. I think when you, when you were mentioning your, your heroes and your role mm -hmm. models, when I, when I look at you and I see all the things you're doing, mm -hmm. not just saying, I see the best parts of all of your role models in you. So I just watched on my flight now from LA, I watched a documentary that was eight hours of Muhammad Ali, four episodes, two hours each. And I watched him and I was just like, his bad habits are my bad habits. Um, and that's because we are goal-driven individuals. And sometimes being so goal-driven sometimes messes up your personal life in the sense of people become goals. Women become goals, you know? And I think, those, I think sometimes um, that, 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 positive, that negative posit uh, positivity can be our biggest downfall. It's just to be able to balance the two. Um, I, I think, sometimes I think the world isn't ready for people like me or people like Mo Mandela, at, the world wasn't ready for him. Muhammad Ali, the world wasn't ready for him. You know, th those kind of personalities that go, I don't care what you think, this is what I think. And I, don't, I think, the, especially the world now, the world is all about, oh, he did something. Oh, we'll cancel him as a group. I mean, I don't mind going against the grain uh, and, and, going, and that my mother taught me. Muhammad Ali taught me. You know, those kind of people taught me. And the man I have the potential to become taught me is teaching me that. Yeah, I think I agree with what you're saying in a lot of ways that the world isn't ready for characters like you mm. or like Mandela. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm not saying I'm like Mandela. I'm not saying I'm like Mandela. No, no, saying, I, I, I know I, that. I don't want to be a role model. I don't. I don't want to be a role model. I'm too flawed to be a role model. I'm way too flawed to be a role model. Um, but I do think I'm striving for consistency, vulnerability, and I want to change lives. I want to, I want to change lives. I want to be able to, like, I have a charity that distributes about 30, 000, uh, sanitary pads to 30,000 women per month. I want to end period poverty. I want people to eat. I currently, that's what I want to do. I want to change lives. I got that from my mother. When I was a kid, my mother used to, every single weekend, there would be a stranger in my house every week. I was like, what's happening? During um, Christmas, she would take our groceries and God, give one person there, one person there, one person there, every single day of my... Uh, and I never understood it because we didn't have anything. Um, so yeah, man, uh, there's a selflessness that I got from my mother that I, I'm proud of. But my ego, my ego, as big as it is, will never trump my heart. I also wanted to know, um, because when she did pass away, mm -hmm. you shared it very publicly. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and you spoke mm -hmm. about the process of yeah. grieving... Um, and what that was like for you. Why did you decide to share that process? You know, I shared it because, it, and people think I shared it for them. I don't give a fuck about anyone when I was grieving for my mother. I don't give a fuck about no one, right? I shared it because I'm a performer, I'm an actor, my happy place 
and my healing place is being on stage or in front of camera. Um, and I like to be alone. So I was able to be alone, but I knew that I didn't, I couldn't be just alone, right? So I shared it because I needed an outlet. I needed a diary, right? And then the engagement in the DMs actually was where the magic was happening. Hi, Siv. I just lost my mother two days ago. I'm struggling. And then I'll be like, I'm there, I'm there, I'm there. Oh, I lost my mom a year ago. Oh, wow. I'm there, I'm there, I'm there, I'm there. But what I did consciously do, and this is going to sound weird, every couple of days, I'll listen to her favorite songs. I'll smell her fragrance. I'll look through her pictures. I'll listen to voice notes because I need to feel the pain. I'm not ready not to feel pain anymore. I, I want... I don't want to be numb any, I, I want to live in it and it's helped the process. The online process of it, because now it definitely has helped me. I, I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for that online process and online. I know people didn't understand, some people don't understand, but a lot of people did. Uh, but I do think how it helped other people was seeing a person who's usually together and usually strong be so broken that they went, it doesn't, ma it doesn't matter if I'm broken, if he is able to be so broken. So yeah, I did it for myself selfishly. I, <laughs> I think uh, it was very refreshing because losing a parent is something everyone will inevitably go through, but no one teaches you how to deal with it. That's, and I think and that's the problem. Not that you were teaching, mm. but just by watching you mm. and the process that you went through. Um, but it's the same as you. So, so, so to cut you off, you recovered from your, drag, your, your, your addiction, right? I don't have the tools to even know when I'm in trouble or when I'm in it, right? No one gives us those tools. You have to go there and learn them. Mm. Like I've had to go be in the dark place to be able to learn how to process my mother's death. But no one teaches you that in society. I do have a theory and people are going to disagree with me. I don't think we're actually built as humans to be as close as we are to our parents because we're animals. They're supposed to graze you and release you. But we end up getting closer to them and, you know, our families become their families. And I can feel the way my body has been processing this hurt. It has been, it hasn't known what to do. It's just been shutting off. And your body only shuts off when A, it cannot handle. So I would have much preferred a brick in the face or broken a leg, you know, than to be able to deal with what I'm dealing with. I think it's the structure that we live in today's society where mm -hmm. a lot of people feel like they are closed off. Mm -hmm from other communities mm. and other, you, you know, back yeah. in the day. Yeah, it's community-based. People were very, mm. um, people would live together. And I've, like someone like me, I live very separated from a lot of people. Mm. Um, I don't have many friends, mm. um, but the one, the, the people that have always been there was my family. Mm. So in today's society, you become so yeah. intertwined in each other's lives. Yeah. Um, in the olden days, you had 10, 20 mothers. And they all shared and they all were a bit of peace. Or you lived 100 kilometers when you started your own family. You didn't see your mother that often. You know what I mean? Now we've given everything to one person and one person. And I don't think that's what we're meant to be. I don't think that's what we're meant to be. I think we have created that. Religion has created that. The society has created I do not think I, if I lived a thousand years ago, I'd be as close as I am to my mother as I, as I am now. There's no way. There's no fucking way. There's no way in the world that we're supposed to be this close to these people. No way. We're not. I can feel it. I can feel how my body, my body 
has physically been in pain. My heart has been sore. I've lost weight. Um, I've had an inkling to have sex and eat sugar. And it's just my body going, we don't know what's happening, but we're going to put you to sleep. And then when you're sleeping, we'll try to avoid the topic because in your dreams, you, she's going to be alive. Nah, bruh. Me, in my dreams, I'm planning and I'm working towards something. But in my dreams now, it's all my, it's all my mother. And my body's trying to process it. That, there's no way that's, that's no way that our body's supposed to be. This is, it's, we're no, no way are we supposed to be this close to people. I mean, I, I agree. And I think you see that in other ways of life. Mm. Um, I mean, Caroline, mm. um, my friend and housekeeper, mm. her kid um, lives in another part mm. of the country, mm. goes to school there. Because her family is not just one mother. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's five or ten mothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every sister, every cousin, yeah. every brother, yeah. they all help. Mm. Um, and I think uh, that's an amazing thing. I mean, I wanted to talk about The Woman King now as oh, well. Sure. Can, you, can you tell me a little bit about that movie? So The Woman King is an incredible story that I think a lot of people didn't know growing up. We didn't know about it. But... And, and another thing, there were many women armies across the world, South America, uh, Asia, you know, there were a lot of women-led armies. And the woman king is about this incredible woman called uh, Niniska, she was real, who was the leader of the woman army, and my character is the leader of the man army, Megan. And these women used to beat up men, enslave them, go to women and go, hey, do you want to be a slave or do you want to be a warrior? Right? We'll, we'll release you to be out there, but you'll still be, you'll be trapped and you'll be, and then, or we'll come to our kingdom and we'll turn you into an army. And it's an incredible story about resilience, uh, equality, um, how, and, and for me, you'll leave there feeling like you can take over the world and you'll leave there as a man going, I need to get involved and get my hands dirty because there's no such thing as woman issues. There's human issues. It's how I felt while watching it. I watched it the first oh, day. Did you watch it? Yeah. yeah. Remember, I'll tell you my experience. Oh, yeah. The the first day it was out in the yeah. SA, mm. I went to go watch mm. it. And um I was sitting in the movie theater mm. and it just gripped me the movie. Mm. And it Did had me slow it goes slowly. And yeah. Then... I mean, there's a lot of stuff in that movie that has been talked about before, mm. but never in a way like they did in mm. that movie. Mm. Um and as the movie progressed, I'm not going to get into much detail yeah. about what it's about, um, but just go watch it. Mm. Um, as it was at the climax mm. of the movie, mm. she was running to save her yeah, child. Yeah. The power went out in the movie theater. Oh, you told me about this, yes. Dude, I was living. And then what happened? The guys came in and they were like, Escom, Escom, Escom. Did you, did you go back? Yeah, so they said in five minutes it'll be up again. Okay. And then they put the movie back on. But for some reason, I don't think the guys were watching upstairs. Yeah. And it was five minutes back. So we all watched the same okay. five minutes yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. But it was just an amazing, yeah. uh, just an amazing movie. And I wanted to know, I, I saw someone, you know who Kamara Usman yeah. is? Yeah. UFC fighter. Yeah. I think it was him. He said, there's a lot of things in this movie mm. that will go over a lot of people's heads. Yes. And by a lot of people, I think he was meaning white people. Yeah. <laughs> and men. And men. and men. So I wanted to know. I mean, I think I picked up on yeah, a lot of those yeah, things. Yeah. What in in the movie? What resonates a lot with black society that would yeah. probably go over the heads of white society? Um, if you're a white person and you watch that film, you don't. If I ask you, 
when is the last time you've seen four dark-skinned women leading a blockbuster film? You can name one. Couldn't name one. Don't say Black Panther, because Black Panther, A, is not a real story, and B, the, the top four leads are not black women or dark-skinned black women. Um, uh, I think it's just about just give us a chance. Just give us a chance as women. Uh, give them a chance. Um, they might not be stronger than us, but they need, they're part of society. And for my character, it's just about men. It's time we get involved. Even if it's just one of you going against many men, it's time. Uh, it's time for us to be accountable. And I think those are the things that for me, the nuanced stuff, the extra layers that you, you watch the second time that you actually will be able to get, you know? Um, and then, like, the, the drama of it, a lot of people were, like, angry about it because a lot of people didn't realize that uh, there would no, not be slavery if it wasn't for black people because black people slaved, uh, sold slaves. If you didn't know that, you know, uh, <laughs> history is a motherfucker. Um, but, yeah, it's a movie that is very, very special. And I feel like it's doing well in the box office, but I think it's going to do much better when it gets to the people. Because I can't wait till people, like, I'm going to say this now, have pirated it. And they, one person has a DVD and they're sharing it with like a hundred people. You know, that kind of thing. Because it's not about the money always for you. It's, no. it's about the message yeah, that the I, movie brings. I, think, I, th I, I don't even think it has actually skimmed the surface just yet. And I think there's still billions of people who are still going to see it, who are still going to be, it's going to resonate with them. You know, Shawshank Redemption failed at the box office and did well on tape. On, and on now cassette. it's top on IMDb. Yeah, I, I, I say it's my number one film of all times. And... Um, one of the things I heard was that you got a bunch of people. Oh, you, yes. you hired a bus to take them to the theaters to yeah. watch the movie. Yeah, I helped, I helped get a few ladies to the theater to be able to watch it and experience it. Um, so a lady who contacted me and I was like, oh, for sure. Um, I just want access. Access is so important. And a lot of people don't understand how, how important access is. Um, and the only example I can make is, is if you're a lion and you don't see lions your entire life and you spend time with just seeing fish. After a while, you'll be like, okay, cool, but I'm different. And then one day you meet another lion and you're like, or you see a lion doing well. So imagine how it is for me growing up. My heroes were politicians, freedom fighters. Those were positive role models, black positive. Imagine being a child now. Find yourself a positive political leader, except Musi, you know? Mm. And I think that's important to be able to see people in great positions who look like you. People don't realize that, how important that is. Well, I mean, we saw that recently with the, the, the Mermaid yes. uh, film, where I saw these... Uh, little girls. Little girls, dude, just going, is that really her? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's so funny how racists have been upset that how can the mermaid... Be black. What? Mermaid's a fake bitch. If your biggest issue is that mermaid is black, when actually your biggest issue is that the mermaid, it's a woman who has a fish uh, fin. But your problem is that she's black. And you don't have a problem that she's underwater and she's singing. Ah, ah, ah. Racist. <laughs> it shows you how stupid racists are. I mean... What was, the, what was the process that you went through to get into character for this movie? Um, I went to gym six times a week. They were training us. They were feeding us. 
I did stunts for about four hours a day. Um, so physically, you know, he, he used the big sword. So I was him, like, you know what I mean? But I think the battle started many years ago when I started to realize how fucked up women can be. And I started to try and change and improve myself and try to be an ally to many people. And I think that's where the battle, I think it was off camera where, where the work was beginning. So sometimes when I was looking at him, in the moment he knew what he was trying to do, you know? And I, I, I watched myself, I'm getting a lot of credit for the character and I realized I wasn't acting a lot of the times. I was just- I was just about to say. I was playing, I wasn't Siv, but I knew the fundamentals of him was, he was just a, he was a, he was a man filled with contradictions because I think he was, he grew up being told that men are the best and he's bigger, but then he started realizing, well, these women aren't bad. He's like, oh man, these women actually have the same goal. And then, and then as the movie carries on, he's gradually the only guy who fights with a woman eventually. I was just about to ask, I mean, I see a lot of parallels between the two of you because to be honest, um, when I was watching it, I was seeing both you and the character, yeah, yeah. which I think is an amazing mm -hmm. thing because I don't think there's often a person that can fit so smoothly into a role like that. Mm. I mean, how did it feel to be one of the only men? Mm. Well, the only men in an army full of women. I think that's the quintessential story of my life, really. I, I'm always in woman spaces quite a lot uh, or different spaces. Um, no, man, there's a moment in the film, which I'm not going to tell anyone, but there's a moment in the film when it's my favorite moment of the film. I think some people have been clapping for that moment sometimes. I think I know which one it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's another moment when you see him eventually going, he's going to go join the woman, you know? Um, and a lot of men need to do that. I think a lot of men need to put up, we need to put up our hand and go against our friends, go against our family and go, we will not stand for this, you know, and, and go and fight with the woman or beside them. Because a lot of the times as a man, you don't have to be in the front. You can be next to the woman in support. I mean, there's a lot of young men in today's society, right, that um, I think are choosing the wrong role models. I mean, we've seen recently the rise of people like Andrew Tate. <laughs> and I, no, I don't even like bringing the name up because I feel like such a, mm -hmm. a schmuck for talking about it. But like Andrew Tate and I think even recently Kanye West. Wow. which I think the, these are people that young men look up to. Mm. And I see it in the comments of my videos mm. when I speak about women in a positive mm. way. Um, I hear the exact words that come out of their mouth in the people commenting mm. on the videos. Mm. Why do you think young men are choosing those role models? And I say uh, role models in uh, captions. I don't actually you know, mean role models. I don't think it's easy to be a man in society. And I don't think people talk about this enough. I think we society has helped us bring up very flawed men uh, hurt men emasculated men um insecure men um and i think that it, what society is currently busy saying is that masculinity is bad but actually masculinity is not bad toxic masculinity is bad so i think we a lot of these men are, are getting a lot of a lot of hate towards them and i think it's well deserved women are angry and they should be angry but then there's a person who says a certain thing, then they go, okay, cool, I'm gonna resonate with them. Like Trump, a lot of people have, the lot, Trump supporters weren't newly created, they were always there. They just needed someone to lead them, 
you know? And I think a lot of these guys are putting up their hand a lot. It's resonating with a lot of angry, angry boys and angry men who are anti-woman already before that. So Kanye is not creating these people. Tate is not creating these people. And I don't think Trump is creating these people. They were always there. They just needed to be led. Um, and I think, I think, I have a personal opinion that I think it's going to get worse. I think we're going to get very troubled men who are coming out of society. And I think it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And I think this is only the tip of the iceberg. Well, I, th I think as we see, as people kind of become more and more iso isolated, mm. the hurt begins to grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And recently, especially in the past three or so years, there's been a lot of attention on LGBTQ rights. Mm. There's been a lot of uh, mm. um, attention on women empowerment. Yeah. Um, and I think men, especially young men, mm. think that, why are they talking about everyone mm. else but me? Mm -hmm. Right, I... I I believe we're creating an army of men who are going to hate women more and more. And I think we're only going to pay the price in a few years. Now, if you're a woman, I'm not saying, I'm not saying women are the, men are the victims here necessarily. What I'm saying is that I think it should be a dual approach. I think men are the, the infringers on women. They're the ones who are hurting women. Mm. Uh, 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 woman. So... What are we doing? We spend more time fixing women. But no, 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 no. We need to fix the people causing the problems. And I think currently, and I think it should be a dual approach. I think we should be helping women as much as possible, but I think we should be talking to men and helping them fix mm -hmm. what's wrong with them. If it's mentally, whatever it is. And I think it isn't the woman's responsibility to do it. It needs men fixing other men or, or men fixing themselves and be accountable. There's more than enough information out there to do so, right? But if you think, if you're sitting there and you think the answer to fixing men is belittling them and name-calling them, then I think you are gravely mistaken. I think what's happening, um, and I'm not going to go on about this for too long, but what I think is happening is that there's been a correction that's mm -hmm. being made. Which is necessary. And the injustices of the past are being righted. Mm -hmm. But at Which... the same time, Young men feel like they're being wrong. Yeah. Oh, men in general. And uh, which, which we're not saying being held accountable isn't you not being wronged. Um, calling out your wrongdoing isn't you mm. being wronged. It's you know what I mean, kind of a thing. But there is a. Um, it's interesting to be able to the calling people names and belittling them and whatever, whatever, cancelling them, doesn't mean that they're going to go away and they're going to improve. I think you're going to hate women more and hurt more women. Yeah, I think what well, I was going to people hurt. What I was going to say is that people like young men these days don't understand why there's such an overcorrection mm. because they weren't around for yeah. the times that it was the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But I think we just have to realize that for a period of time, that's how it's going to be yeah. because yeah. not everyone can focus on every issue. I think there'll be collateral damage. There's definitely going Coll to be. Yeah. There definitely will be collateral damage. And I think it's easy for us to say that until it's you who's collateral damage. Mm. Uh, but but I I feel it needs to be done, but I do feel like we should spend more time. Um, like, for example, if you walk on the street and you ask the average man what consent means, he wouldn't really be able to to really break it down the way it should be or what it's what it's known to be. Or if you ask a woman as well what consent means, sometimes they don't know enough about what consent is. So it's little things, little nuances that that I feel like we need to talk about and, and really get into. And uh, I'm always willing to talk about it because for me, I can tell you, I'm a man who's trying to be better and it's a daily battle.
that I, I, lo- I lose every once in a while. And I mean, when it comes to consent, like I say, it's sometimes it can be very tricky because I always, I, I was telling you this just yeah. now, but I always ask for consent mm. before I kiss someone mm. that I haven't known or I'm on a date with. Mm. Um, and a lot of women find it incredibly unattractive. Mm. It is a problem. The best analogy I have for consent is pretend consent is tea. If you offer a woman tea and she says yes to tea, you can give her tea. But just because you gave her tea last week and she said yes to it, it doesn't mean she's going to want consent the next week. She's not going to want tea the next week. And because you gave her tea the week before and you come across one day and she's sleeping, it doesn't mean you can give her tea while Mm. she's sleeping. You can't force her to have tea just because she had tea last week. And just because she said she was going to give you tea, and on the day when she's supposed to, you were supposed to give her tea, she says, no, thank you to tea. It doesn't matter. Or if you give her tea, and while she's drinking the tea, she says, no, thank you to the tea. It doesn't mean, just because you said yes in the beginning when you gave her tea, that she can't say no to the tea while she's drinking the tea. Even as she's about to finish the tea, and it's this much at the bottom, it doesn't mean that just because she said yes to this much of the tea, that she has to finish this tea. She can say no to that tea anytime. And that's my best analogy of consent. I love tea. <laughs> and I love tea. <laughs> but I love the tea when the lady says she wants tea. Or the coffee. Or the orange juice. And it's wrong uh. to put something in the tea. So she might say yes to the tea because you put something in the tea. <laughs> it doesn't get better than that about consent. That's a great one. If you don't understand that analogy... You are a rapist. <laughs> I'm sorry. This, actually, quote me on that shit. Cut that shit out and go, if you don't understand the analogy of what consent is, and I just, after breaking it down for you, and you're still saying, ah, but, but, what if I put something in the tea? <laughs> then you're a rapist. Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, you're a Dahmer. You're a Dahmer. And another interesting thing, speaking, bringing Dahmer up is that you watched that series. Have you watched it? Yeah. You didn't hate him the whole way. I never, I never hated him the whole way. Because rapists, abusers, psychopaths aren't these evil monsters that people make them out to be. He convinced men to come home with him, to take pictures, sat down. So he wasn't this evil man. Like rapes, like, like rape is not always violent like they make it out to be in the films. Right? Sometimes women just freeze. If you listen to this, rape victims sometimes even orgasm, sometimes even come, uh, ejaculate, whatever. Sometimes, and rapists sit there thinking, no, she ejaculated, she was wet. No, bro, your body does what it has to do to react, right? So there's certain things about, we don't talk about it. Another analogy that you're going you're gonna to think is a weird analogy. One of the worst things to ever happen in the world is film and film depicting drownings to be this. Help! Help! How do you scream help when you can't breathe? Drowning is the most silent form of death. Because this is how kids go help when they're drowning. 
But parents and people guarding them think they're going to hear help. And movies have created rape victims, rape scenes like this. No, no, no help, no, no, bruh. Sometimes women freeze. All they do, and here's another thing. Just because you keep on telling a woman, here's tea, here's tea, 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 here's tea, here's tea. It's called coercion. And eventually she goes, I'll take the tea. And she drinks it. Mm. No, 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 that doesn't, just because she said yes. That, no, you've coerced her to saying yes. And that's still rape. Why aren't we talking about these little things? These little big things that are actually what the problem is. And we have to take, I, I want my dream is to have camps every other weekend. Take 200 boys. We do a camp Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I get all my friends, Wade Funikak, Sia Kulisi, Akani, Musi Mamani, all these men to speak and do little courses. And we give them these analogies, the tea analogy, that and that, whatever, to be able to teach them about things that women are learning. I rambled on en enough. <laughs> said enough. <laughs> no, I think it was great. And I think it's important to talk about these things and what you said about um, it not always being violent. Mm. I know a few people that have mm. had, uh, have been sexually assaulted. Mm. And um, a lot of the time, it's completely the opposite of what you see in the movies. Mm. You know, they're so terrified they're, they're, that they just don't do anything. Yeah, they just freeze. It's yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we don't talk about it. I, I spoke to a friend recently and she said someone who had done something to her had contacted her. And I said to her, let me guess, he had no idea he did you wrong. Some guys, sometimes men don't even know they did it wrong. And that doesn't make them any less wrong. Like, um, you know, like it's the same as sometimes the white guy who got in trouble for calling a woman, a black person monkey. Like they said it, they didn't even know that they were- Are you talking about the recent story? Yeah, the, 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 there was some, no, no, I'm talking about the old one, called okay. about monkeys, whatever. They don't know what they meant. It doesn't make you any less wrong, mm. you know? And me as a man, you know, <laughs> I know better. Like I know to do my bed up every morning, I don't do it, you know? Um, but sometimes I, I fuck up, you know? Someone said to me yesterday, you say sorry so easily, it makes it mean less. How much more can we men say sorry for? How more can women take? How much more till they all get guns and start shooting every single one of us on self-defense? Every time, ah, sorry, I thought you, you know what I mean? Now, if we as men were under attack as much as women are under attack, how many people, how much collateral damage? Imagine. Oh, sorry, sorry, I thought you were going to rape me. That's what we men would do. And I mean, that's a lot of what I saw in the movie mm. uh, as well, was that these women who are soldiers, I found it a very good metaphor for life, mm. for women, mm. um, where these women that are soldiers, yes, they're fighters. In today's society, mm. that's not how women are soldiers yeah. and how they're warriors. Mm. Um, women go through so much. And even back in, in that time, mm. They were going through all of the same things that women go through today, being underestimated, being abused, like the main character, Viola Davies' character. Mm. Um, they were going through all of those same things, mm. and yet they were still the strongest warriors in the world. Mm. 
<laughs> and I think a lot of people are going to watch this and think that we're suck-ups yeah, or yeah. we're uh, woman-pleasing. But it's just so mind-blowing how guys think that talking about women being amazing yeah. is a weakness. <laughs> Listen here, guys. <laughs> Listen up. Listen here. Listen here, fuckers. Listen here, fuckers. Um... Sometimes I speak to young boys and they're always like, ah, can you help us? What is the best advice you can give us about, you know, getting with women, you know? My best advice to any single man or boy is when you're surrounded by a woman or a girl is you make her feel as safe in the fastest time possible. If you're on a date with someone and the girl, you're sitting here and the woman's sitting there and her body's turned away from you like this, <laughs> She's not safe, buddy. You know, her body energy needs to be toward, you know what I mean? Make a woman feel safe in the fastest time possible. It's your only duty in that particular time. Then the conversation will go well, you know? But as soon as she feels unsafe, your opening joke makes her unsafe. You are, you are in trouble. And when she comes to your house, no matter how many times you have met her, she's told two or three friends where she's going. I repeat. If she comes to your house and she's on your couch, two or three people know where she is. Do you know, for me, every country I go to, I judge the safety of a country on how tightly a woman is holding her bag to her chest. And women in South Africa hold their bags like this. No, oh, bruh. The way women live in this country is not normal. Let's not even for a split second act like women are supposed to be this much under attack. And I absolutely and categorically feel nothing for every woman who leaves this country because she feels unsafe. Or for every father who takes their family out of this country because they feel unsafe. The way women are attacked here, women die with more... Uh, animals die with more dignity than women die in this country. They are, they are under attack. And if we were under attack as men, like this, we would arm ourselves. And just coming towards the end... I want to talk about... I mean, I'll actually just read the question that someone sent me on Instagram. Mm. Um, I let's, mean, get, let's, get, let's get through all of those. <laughs> yeah, we're almost done. I mean, what, what has your experience been as a black man in South Africa who doesn't conform true to, to traditional ideas of masculinity? Yeah, man. And what advice would you give to young people who also don't conform to more traditional ideas I of, of masculinity? I want to start off by saying um, I'm privileged. I'm privileged that I've been in this industry long, that I have a platform to be the guy that I am. But if I lived in the township and I didn't have the, the platform that I have, doing drag, walking on the heels, pole dancing, doing and saying what I'm doing would get me killed. So I don't want people to compare or put me on a, on a pedestal because many people die doing what I do. But because I have the privilege of being... Uh, uh, in the entertainment industry, having the thingy that I have and the background that I have, I can do it. So currently, there are many gay men who are getting killed, trans, trans men, trans women who are getting killed every single day because they are doing what Civ does. So I don't think I should be idolized for it. But I can tell you, if I were to get killed for the person that I am, it's a wonderful death and I'll take it. I'm not saying everyone else should be like that. Um, I'm willing, I'm willing, uh, I, I, I'm willing, if I see a woman being hit, 
I'm the first guy to throw a punch to protect. If someone drags out a knife, stabs me in the chest, that's a good death for me. And, you know, I'll trend and people say beautiful things for me at my funeral. <laughs> um, I am, I am, an, I am, just, it, it, it's the same as the thing that pisses me off about Cyril Ramaphosa at the moment. He has a moment to be great. He has the potential and the opportunity to go out there guns blazing, but potentially get kicked out as president from his own party, but will be known as the guy who stood up and fought back. That's why I love Musi. Musi gets attacked every single day, but he does guns blazing, and that's how I live. Um, another privilege that I have is that people know that I'm actually straight. So when I do things, I'm not a threat to them. And another, th another thing that I have that is, gives me a, a privilege is that a lot of men see me doing my thing, but they know I could still fuck them up physically. <laughs> it's difficult to call someone names and be homophobic towards them when you know they can fuck you up. You know what I mean? And that's why... And have the money to pay the lawyers yeah, yeah, off. Yeah. That's why it's quite difficult for homophobes to make fun of the big butch gay people because they're scared, you know? So my only advice, if you're a young... I have a, a story that I've spoken about in a podcast. There's a guy called Sankakara. Sankakara. My friend's child. One of my oldest friends. He loves pink things. He loves girl toys. He loves beautiful fairy things. He loves touching me. He loves wearing heels. When I wear nail polish, he loves it. But he's still muscular. He's still like, you know, little three, four-year-old. But once I bought... He asked for a princess outfit. I bought him a princess outfit. And he threw away the earrings. And I said, Sangha, why did you throw away the earrings? Because you can't throw away the earrings because I bought them for you. But at this moment, he has a crown on. He has a, a little wand. He has a pink dress on. And he says to me, Uncle Thiff, when I get the Happy Meal, I just want, I want the girl toy because girl toys are pretty. While he has all of this, he gets the earrings, he throws them away. I said, Sangha, you can't do that. I bought you that. Why don't you want to wear the earrings? He says, no, no, I'm not wearing earrings. I'm a boy. Earrings are for girls. That's where he draws the lines. <laughs> my biggest, my biggest, my biggest inspiration is Sanka. Just living his, he's living his truth. Doesn't mean he's gay. And if he is gay, it doesn't matter. But that's my truth. Me, I get too much credit. I get way too much credit. Way too much credit. There's a little guy who must get credit. He's living his truth in a world that's unapologetically flipping discriminatory. And just, I mean, just to end off, can you tell me a little bit about Savannah, the oh. character, your drag queen character? Oh. So I do drag. Um, and it's somewhat, I've always been confident, unapologetically confident, but being in COVID, three months alone, makes you start having conversations with self. I've always wanted to do drag. I don't think I would have had the balls to do drag if it wasn't during COVID. Because I, I was able to go, no, I want to do this. Um, uh, some people have hated her, hated the idea. And I think people in the community, LGBT community, have had so many people who are just like me. Rugby playing, jock, loud guys, opinionated guys, really belittle them. Uh, so I understood when people were like, no, he's using us to make money. I lose money from drag. I don't make money. I lose money from drag trying to create the platform. But I, I, I am unapologetic to say that since I started drag and been involved in drag, I've been consistent. I've been unapologetic. And I think I've been able to gain the respect of many people in the community. And I think I've helped in some shape, form, means in drag.
and it's one of the greatest decisions of my life and I think it's made me a better person. I think drag, pole, and losing my mother were the most, will be some of the biggest life-changing moments of my life. And that is right going back to finding the power in femininity and reinventing what masculinity means to me and what it is that I want to portray of a masculinity. Because at the end of the day, let's be truthfully honest, there's the thing that says, I'm going to get the saying wrong, but the only time as a person you'll ever learn that sometimes you have to be gentle is when a mosquito lands on your balls. And then you like, you could take a hammer, move it, you will get the mosquito. You may get it, or you might not, but you'll hurt yourself. You'll definitely get your balls. But for <laughs> me, I'm currently learning how powerful it is to be able to find the, the, the power in femininity and how vulnerability isn't a weakness, that it's a power. And that's the analogy that I have. Have you ever considered, this was another question someone asked Politicians. me. Politicians. Yeah, have you ever considered running for politics? They, they were saying that they would love a, yeah. a no-bullshit yeah. politician. The problem with politics with me is I'm too non-biased for politics. And that's why I actually emceed Musi, my money's... Uh, uh, in Soweto, yeah. Yeah, I was there, I was the MC When he announced yeah, that yeah, he was running for yeah. president. And as I emceed it, Musi is bigger than a politician. Bigger than that. Musi is a humanitarian. Um, and the piece of me knows that he can only make change, real change, if he's in politics. But then there's another side of me that goes, he's too much of a good person to be in politics. And that's an interesting dynamics. But I support what my friends want and need. But he's a beautiful incredible, unbelievably loving man. I'm great friends with his wife, Natalie. His three kids are virtually my kids. I scream louder than he screams at, when they, I watch netball or watch cricket. Whatever they do, I'm there to support when they have a play. Um, and I'm too non-biased for politics. I would call out my own team members if they're wrong. Mm. And that's not <laughs> politics. <laughs> that's, I'm too non-biased for politics. But I will change the world. Um, you don't have to be in politics to yeah, do good. Yeah, I will change the world. Um, and I will be for many people why they're in a better position than when I got there. And I personally believe, I said this to a, a woman that I've been chilling with, I said to her, I said to her, I will, you will leave a better version of yourself after you leave my, my, my being with me or being around me. And I promise, I promise to everyone that that's what I bring forward. Um, I'm an acquired taste. I'm like sushi. I'm like caviar. I'm like intestines. And I'm like, and I'm like. <laughs> I don't think you can put intestines yeah, next to yeah. sushi and, and caviar. I, and I'm like, and I'm like <laughs> anal sex. You either people, love it or hate it. People who love anal sex love it. People who hate it, hate it. And some people will never try it. The same as sushi, the same as caviar, the same as intestines. You don't find anyone who goes, I don't mind anal sex. <laughs> Have you ever heard anyone say, I don't mind sushi? No, you love sushi or you hate sushi or you'll never try sushi. Mm -hmm. Intestines and all that, and that is me. Um, but I can categorically tell you that I'm great. I'm unapologetic about it. And I know not everyone will love me and I don't need everyone to love me. 
And when people don't talk about you, you're not doing your job right and you will not change the world. But whoever listens to this podcast, I know I'm sure I've offended you more than once. But that's sh- okay. But it's okay. Um, you know where my truth is, you know where my heart is. And once again, the only person who can change this country to lead it is Musi Mamani, no one else. Amazing, man. Mm-hmm. And um, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks, man. It's been such a pleasure. I'm honestly always so baffled by the people that say yes to mm-hmm. come on my show. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's nothing for anyone to gain by coming mm-hmm. on here. It's not the biggest platform or, or, or anything like that. So I just I really wanted to say I really appreciate mm-hmm. you spending your time sure, here. Bro. Um, and I hope to keep watching I, you grow and see where you, you go in the future, man. I hope I grow like an old man's erection after he takes the, uh, the blue pill. Just <laughs> grow and grow and grow. But what I want to say is I think you should give yourself more credit because I think um, you've been through a lot. You're young. You have every excuse to say fuck the world and you have every excuse to live in the, den- in the regret part of it. And that takes a big person. And I don't think everyone can be good at a podcast because not everyone can take a moment and see other people listen to other people talk about themselves without getting themselves involved in this conversation. So don't give yourself, don't be too hard on yourself. You're great at what you do. You, this is the best podcast studio I've ever been to and I've actually been to many. Um, you make people feel at ease. I saw your grandmother downstairs. I saw your domestic worker who's your friend. You offered me water. Your two dogs barked at me. Um, and I patted them. And there's an environment here that you're doing incredible work that just don't underplay yourself and make sure that you could become one of the biggest podcasts in the world. I know it's difficult at the moment to get numbers of podcasts in South Africa because we, we have a middle class of 5 million or so and upper class. So we just have to continuously push. And as soon as data's cheaper, you know, it'll be easier. But uh, thank you so much for having me. I had an incredible... Um, it's the first time I've had... In podcasts, I usually talk about some of the extreme things, but there's stuff that I've said here that I've never said in any other podcast. And there's stuff here that I, that I know that some people aren't ready to hear. Um, and I know I potentially get in trouble, but I don't regret saying anything that I said. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming down. Much, and uh, thank you all for watching the Wide Awake podcast. It's been an amazing episode and I'll see you all very soon. Sure, Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>